Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Losing the Plot. I'm Leo Robertson. I find artists of all varieties I find interesting. They're usually writers, they don't have to be. And uh, we talk about their work, we talk about life, we talk about anything and everything. We lose the plot together, hence the title of the show. As always, we start with the latest of what's going on over at Aphotic Realm. Uh, issue number seven is out now, it's gruesome. Who doesn't love over-the-top 80s horror films? A punk band fights off a horde of possessed fans at a local concert. A makeout session at the cemetery takes a turn for the worst. Slashers, critters, demons, gore, hairspray. The 80s horror B-movie aesthetic is what issue 7 gruesome is all about, so do check that out. The Realm also has its own merch store right on the Aphotic Realm site itself. Uh, you can buy t-shirts, beanies, caps and tank tops. And if you check out the new Aphotic Realm Instagram, you can see yours truly sporting an Aphotic Realm t-shirt uh, in the dark grey heather colour. I think it's great. And uh, there's loads of cool other merch. I'm sure I will get other stuff too. And uh, I hope you will as well. Please do check out the merch in the store. Finally, I hope you will consider supporting Aphotic Realm on Patreon. As a patron, you'll get early access to podcast episodes such as this one. Um, you can also uh, get digital downloads of all Aphotic books as well. So do check that out. Please consider supporting Aphotic Realm on Patreon also. I wrote this thing. I hope you like it. Let's talk about it, yeah. Let's lose track. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Talking to Leo. Our guest this episode is Dean Drinkle. He is a filmmaker, playwright, and now editor of. Demand Publishing is Demand Publishing, not Domain Publishing, like I said to him, because it's French and it's publishing the best uh, horror writers of uh, tomorrow today. I had a great chat with him and I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. So, how are you doing? How's your week been? Uh, really, really busy. Um, I think I said to you over email that at the moment I'm writing um, three big scripts. Oh. Um, so, yeah, three features film scripts, um, and as well then uh, sorting out all the books and everything that we've been publishing this week as well. So uh, I've had, actually had two hours off today. I was listening to the football, um, and I think that's really all I've had all week. So I'm shattered. <laughs> is it is that a typical week for you? It is at the moment because um, I... Uh, I, I <sighs> If people come to me and say, look, Dean, can you write this? Can you do that? I, I try not to say no. Mm. So um, it just happens at the moment that I've, I've really hit a bit of a bottleneck. It, it's probably my own fault. Um, and it's all good because the three scripts are very different. Um, but uh, the workload is, you know, I'm doing 13 hours a day, seven days a week at the moment. Um, and I'm just not really getting any time for myself. But, you know, it, it's cool. That This is the life I wanted. So I, I can't be moaning too much. Hmm. Yeah, but it's such a typical, I was just, I was listening to another podcast to, earlier today and it's the same thing as like, if I don't accept all the work, then it will go away and people won't, you know, want me to do it or something. It just seems like when you, 
when the career is the one you've chosen, it's like, I don't know if that's how it is for you, but I imagine no, I, it would, it, tell me. No, you, you, you're dead right. I think that the thing is you've always got to be, you've always got, and this is going to sound terrible if you ever watch um, sort of things like the X Factor and all that, but they always tell the, um, the contestants that they've got to be fresh. They've got to be, you know, always in people's minds. And I think that's the problem because, you know, you can write a script and then, uh, you know, it might do well. But if you, if you only concentrate on that one script, um, people might then come to you and say, well, look, we, we like that script, but uh, it's not really for us because that was a historical script. We want a horror script. Mm. Have you got a horror script? You go, uh, no, I haven't. Um, that was the script that we wrote and we've been concentrating on that. And they say, okay, sorry, we need to go to somebody else. So this is what you've got to keep doing. You've got to keep yourself fresh. You've got to keep yourself current so that when people come to you and they say, right, Dean, we just, we love your work. We read this script, but it's not really for us. Have you got something else? You can then sort of, yeah, I've got this one or I've got that. You've got to keep, you know, you've got to have a big bank of scripts. You've got to, you know, like the stories as well. I mean, that's happened in the past. You know, mm. you've spoken to publishers and they said, you know, we really like what you do, but not quite this story. Have you got something else? And you, the answer has to be yes. You know, I'll be very careful I'm going to say this. In, in the film world, the problem you have is that you're not always paid at the point when you're doing the work. Mm. So you can be doing, I mean, this, this has happened to me the last couple of years where, you know, producers have contacted me and say, Dean, look, you know, we want to work with you. Can you write us something? I go, yeah, cool. When do you need it? They give us a day. And I say, when's the money? Can you give me some money up front? A couple of them have said, you know, we can give you something. Hmm. And the others have said, look, we're new producers. Um, we can give you this extra credit once we actually get to production. But at the moment, there isn't any money. So you then have to decide whether you can risk it or, or you just have to decline it. Hmm. Um, earlier, no, let's go back to December last year. Um, I wanted to write a film about a, a French poet, and I contacted this organisation because um, they might have had some information um, that they could give me, some papers, some original stuff to research. And they actually then said to me, well, Dean, look, uh, can you come and see us? Because we're looking at developing a TV project. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, perhaps you want to get involved in that. So I, I met the guy, um, had a really good meeting, and he explained to me, look, he'd been trying to get this project going for a couple of years but didn't have a script. He's, he's got this uh, an outline for the sort of five years' worth of um, stories, but he just didn't have the right person to write the script. So he said to me, you know, would you, would you fancy doing it? So straight away I was, yes, 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 but then it was, well, when's the money? Mm -hmm. um, so we talked about that, uh, and... I decided that, okay, there wouldn't be any money on the table at this moment, but this could be something really exciting. So I sp spent a little time, wrote the script. He loved it. The problem is, is we're not, it's almost a year later and it's now only starting to kick in with yeah. uh, some of the meetings and, and whatnot. And that's the nature. That's not, you know, his fault, my fault. That's just the nature of it sometimes. Hmm. The problem is, is that there's a, you know, a pilot script and our script that is, is in theory worth a lot of money. Um, and I haven't been paid for it yet. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that, do you think that's only possible because people are so passionate about your profession? I think that, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time in France and, and certainly at the Cannes Film Festival. And, you know, you, you, I can answer this question, I suppose, from two points of view is the fact that you get lots of people who are just liars. Okay. And they will trade on, sort of naivety or you know passion is a good word 
Um, so, so they'll, you know, you might go to a party or whatever. They come up to you and they say, um, you know, we've heard about you. Could you write us a script? And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you, and they promise you the world. So you get so um, overwhelmed by that. It's only then after you do the work that you turn out, you know, you, it turns out, sorry, that mm. maybe they were just liars. Um, and they traded on your passion. The other, on the flip side, maybe they're not all liars, but the fact that they've um, maybe said too much, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the fact that they, they've convinced themselves that they can get some money, and, and maybe they have. You know, this has happened to me loads of times where you get to a point where you, you think the feature film is going to get made and the money just falls apart right at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in the film industry, I mean, I'm a member of the Writers Guild, and, and uh, I went to the AGM last year. I couldn't do this year's one, but last year's one. And they have this um, uh, this mantra now that uh, you know you don't work or don't work for no money, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. you know you should always be paid mm-hmm. because there are people who just keep taking advantage, keep taking advantage. Um, and it is it's tough for writers. It definitely is tough. It definitely is because you have to you have to make a decision do you just sort of sit at home and um not write because people aren't giving you the money mm-hmm. or do you actually just take a punt and go you know what okay i can do this it won't take me that long to write it so let's let's try and get it done because otherwise you know it's um uh, a catch-22 situation all the time especially for new writers because no one's going to come to you if if you haven't written anything mm. And you just, you know, say it just goes round and round. I mean, I remember when, um, you know, tell me to stop if I'm, if I'm rambling, but um, when uh, my first book came out just after I left university and um, I actually sat by the door, physically sat by the door because I thought someone was going to come knocking and give me loads of money, uh, like Hollywood or big publisher or whatever. Mm. Um, and I was with friends who were ex-students, and, they, and they, they kept going to work or whatever and saying, Dean, what are you doing sitting by this door? I said, well, it's going to knock. Someone is going to knock on this door. Mm. Anyway, it didn't happen, so I ended up cleaning aeroplanes at Heathrow Airport. <laughs> in some respect, what you're talking about has always been part of the industries that you're in. But in another respect, when you think about, like, I don't know, the stereotypical writer or creative or artist is like... Uh, I don't know, like they work sporadically and sometimes they drink too much and blah, blah, blah. Like, is that, that just doesn't seem like a possibility anymore. No, I don't don't think it is because, so, okay, a little bit of my background. Um, Mm. I moved to, um, so I was living in London and I was always going to the Cannes Film Festival. And uh, in 2015, uh, I love doing karaoke. Mm-hmm. And the girl that was doing the karaoke, she said, Dean, can you come and meet this young French guy? Because he's looking, he's a writer, but he doesn't really know how to um, uh, to progress. He, you know, he's only in his early 20s um, and he, he doesn't know how to progress. So I said, cool. Within five minutes of talking to him, I decided that I was going to sort of change my life and move to Cannes and write a script with them. Um, so during the time that we did that, we... Um, Social life was was very important. Certainly, you know, in the south of France, uh, we were as well as writing. We were always drinking or, or doing this, that, and the other. And mm. it was a good time. Um, after that, I said to him, "Right, we've done this script. It won some awards at Monaco Film Fest. Uh, it's all good. Let's get on." And he was like, oh, "Dean, I don't know if I can go through all that again because it took us like nine months to write it, and it was nine months of hard work 
Mm. Also, I suppose, terrible expression I'm going to use now, but sort of nine months of hard partying too, mm. right? And um, he was like, Dina, I, I, don't, I don't think we can do that. So um, we haven't written another script together. I mean, we've done some other little minor stuff. But after that, I was like, well, people are contacting me saying, Dean, we really, really love this. We want to work with you. Can you do more stuff? And I was like, yeah, okay. So I've, I've done, you know, some other scripts on my own, some other projects on my own. And I've noticed that as the last two years, definitely, definitely last two years have gone by, I'm not going out anymore. I'm not drinking anymore. It is, it's constant work. Mm. There was um, a book launch for a book of mine uh, two, two, three weeks ago in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to that. And I, and I was sitting there realizing that that was the first drink and the first time I'd been out in something like three to four months. I mean, that's just mental. Yeah. I've appreciated that. Um, you need to put the effort in and then the rewards will come. And I'm not saying I didn't put the effort in before, but as I said at the beginning of this, when people are coming to you saying, Dean, we need a script, can you do it within the next month? You, you know, you've got two months, can you do it? As much as I'd like to go to the football, as much as I'd like to go out drinking or to the cinema or whatever, mm-hmm. if I do that, then that's taken me away from, from the work. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I've decided that at the moment, I'm just going to sacrifice everything so that I can get these scripts done and get them out there because it's all it's all going to happen and it's all positive stuff. Where you where it doesn't work sometimes is that, um, and this is what I say to the family because when I'm in England, I'm staying with the, my mother and brothers and stuff. Is that to be creative, you need stuff that goes in your brain for it then to come out. Mm-hmm. And if you're just sitting in front of a computer 24 hours a day, there's not much that's going in. Yeah. And that's why sometimes there's a problem. So when you're Uh, writing things, do you, I mean, at least when I'm writing things, I can usually tell why I'm writing them. What, what event happened that started me thinking about such and such. So you're saying that like, when you sit to write things, you're like, oh yeah, but I'm kind of writing about somebody I met like several years ago instead of something that's more current. Is that how it feels? Um, yeah. I mean, writing's always been strange strange thing for me because um my when i went to university everyone well people that i know anyway anyway, always think that i did uh, creative stuff at uni but it wasn't it was you know it was history and um i one day we were playing football and i went into the showers because we were drinking we were going to go out that night drinking Mm -hmm. uh, going to the showers and um obviously start showering and uh the i had my eyes closed uh the soap was in my eyes Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had them close, trying to get there. And all these words started appearing in like as if they were in front of me. Mm. So, and, and it was like my head was killing me and, and these words just kept appearing. Um, and I rushed back to, because uh, we're in halls of residence, I rushed back to my room and started typing out this story, which um, was then published and, and blah, blah, blah. Now, the, the thing about that, what I'm saying here is, is, had I wanted to be a writer beforehand, I don't know. Maybe there was some stuff in, you know, maybe I was thinking about it. I don't know. But ever, it, it, that was like um, it opened the door. And as soon as that first one came out, then it was like the next day I was doing another one. And next, so it was, I was being inspired all the time, you know. And, and everyone used to say this to me at uni, you know, we'd, we'd be out, I'd always have my notepad on me, um, and, and I'd just see something. Uh, it, weird this is going to sound really weird right whether i, I i'm not 100 percent, i don't know but you know I, I used to maybe look at bricks bricks in a wall 
and there'd be something about those bricks as if the, like the wall opened up and then these images came out to me. So that was what um, my writing was like for a long time. With the films, what I've been able to do is if someone's come to me and said, oh, Dean, we need a, um, a, a film about... So I'm, I'm doing a horror, horror project at the moment. We signed a deal in Cannes and it's going to be... Um, it's, a, it's a werewolf film that um, I'm writing and going to be directing. And um, the concept was the producer. There's a set, a purpose-built set uh, in the Ukraine, uh, which is being used for another film. And the producer came to me and said, Dean, can you use this set? I've got an idea. Uh, do you think you could write that for me? Mm. And we can make it. And I was like, okay, you're not going to say no to that. So I said, yeah, you know, definitely, definitely. You go away from it and you're thinking, oh, okay, werewolf thing isn't something really that's me. Um how can I inspire myself? How can I get inspired to write something, which mm -hmm. is very bespoke? So what I did in that instance is um, it, it, there's some terrorists that are on it, okay, as well. So I was like, well, we don't really want to have, um, you know, the usual type of terrorist, let's put it that way. So I started, like, playing with ideas about these terrorists, came up with a quite a good idea, I thought, and that then gave me the inspiration to write the rest of to write the film so what was good there is it yes it wasn't something that i kicked off someone came to me but i was able to use my own talent if you like with a little t um my own skills and then my own inspiration to make this project mine i would like to know like in a more i should have started with this but like in a more linear fashion like what your career has looked like because you okay so you started writing stories and then you worked in plays and then into film, something like that? Yeah, okay. So um, as I said, I, I was lucky that uh, – so, so when I was at uni, I wrote this first story um, and sent it to the college magazine. They loved it, and I had been, I think, 20 or 30 published while I was at uni. Mm -hmm. And then um, a small publisher came to me and said, oh, Dean, we've heard about this. Can we put a book together, which is what I did. Uh waited for Hollywood to come knocking, that didn't mm -hmm. happen, um, and I ended up cleaning these aeroplanes. Um, and so when uh, when, I, when I was doing that, people were saying to me, well, Dean, you know, you've just been at university, do you really want to be cleaning aeroplanes for the rest of your life? And I was like, no, 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 you know what, I fancy maybe doing some writing properly now, doing, doing this, that, and the other. And they said, well, books, stories, or, or would you like to do films? And I was like, you know what, I think I've always wanted to do a film. And I was very much... Um, I've always been very much inspired by Clive Barker and Hellraiser, you know, a lot of people in my generation are. Hmm. Um, and I, I always saw myself as, yes, you know, I'm going to write Hellraiser 6 or 7 or whatever it was at that time. Uh, so, you know, you know, sit at home, bang out the script, you know, nothing really happened. And, and I think this was, the, this was a, um, a turning point, I'll use that word. It was, a, it was a turning point because even though I was creating stuff, there was nowhere for it to go. I just didn't know what, what to do with it. Mm. Uh, I, I didn't have a vast network of people that were in the industry, either sort of in the books or, or in the films. Um, but then I wrote, uh, I saw that um, there was a thing called the St. Peter Yusinov Award, which is part of the International Emmys. Mm -hmm. um, and they were looking for scripts from new writers. So I wrote something specific for that. And, uh, came second place, runner-up for that. Um, and, and by doing that, that then led me to 
uh, writing a couple of other stories, short stories, which appeared in uh, sort of some um, e-zines or some you know, low, um, what you call it, uh, sort of black and white fanzine type things. Not fa- not not fanzines, but magazines, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then uh, through that, uh, I got contacted by a theatre, um, which was the Cockpit Theatre in London, and they said, Dean, we we've seen some of your writing. Uh, have you ever thought about doing something in a theatre? And I was like, well, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I have thought about theatre, but I don't like theatre people. I thought it was too too many loveys and all that stuff, right? Mm. Which is just which was wrong, but that's how I felt at the time. And they said, well, no, come down. We do these um, things called theatre in the pound, which is all the audience. It's new writing. Audience come in, pay a pound. Um, and I was like, okay. Well, I went and saw a night, and I thought, okay, this this isn't bad. This isn't bad. And then I thought to myself, well, you know what? Um, I've got a story. Why don't I get somebody to read my story uh, just as a, um, a monologue type thing? And that went down really, really well. As a French actress, that I got to do that. That went really well. And then the theatre then said to me, well, Dean, how about can you do something else? So over the, let's say the next year, maybe it was slightly less, but I, I was doing, you know, I had um, a monologue some uh, two-hander, a three-hander, and then I started writing plays. Um, and I really, really got into what we were doing because it was all very um, – lots of dark comedy. Um, there was obviously big horror influence. I mean, one of the ones that we were quite successful with was these this family called the Crumps who were like serial killers um, and based on Fred and Rose West to some extent. Hmm. Um and they went really, really, really well. Uh, and I also then, whilst all that was going on, managed to direct one of Clyde's plays, um, Frankenstein in Love, a uh, small theatre um, in London as well. So Barons Court Theatre. So that was – the theatre was something that I didn't like but really did like it. Um, but it got to the point where we were – um, so we'd rehearse because lots of the, the actors uh, maybe had day jobs as well because, uh, you know, there's lots of sort of low-budget, fringy stuff. But So you would rehearse maybe three nights a week. Then on the fourth night, I'd be writing the next play. Uh, and all during that time, we'd be drinking, socialising. Uh, and it got to the point where you didn't know whether you were rehearsing to socialise or socialise to rehearse. It, everything just became so, so you know, it was, it was a crazy, crazy time. Mm. And it got to the point we actually had two plays on at the same time at the Pleasance Theatre, um, one about these crumps uh, and another one about these American rednecks called the Catskills. And um, I had always big casts. And you think that I'd written these, directed them and produced, and we were having a drink in the, in the uh, theatre bar um, and I just looked around and I thought, what an amazing time I've had, but I can't do this anymore. It was just too much. Um, so we stopped doing it. So that was it. That was it with the theatre. Um, at the same time, or as that was, so at the same time then when the theatre stuff was coming to an end, I went and did some short films, uh, which is, you know, something that was always... Uh, something that was always in me, but again, I didn't really have a network of people. But of course, we're starting to hit digital, so cameras were um, readily available. And as soon as you start saying, you know, I don't know about your own creative life, but you know, as soon as you start telling people, oh, you want to make a film, suddenly everyone's knocking at the door. Oh, can we help? Can we help? Mm. Um, 
And we did really well with um, some short films. They screened down in Cannes. There was a little sidebar part of the festival. Um, it's a little bit different now, but when it first started, it, it was really it was really avant-garde and, and, and cool, and you could meet some amazing people down there. And, and we did um, uh, three, or four, three or four short films at screen there. So, so yeah, God, that's, that's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, what, decades summarised in a minute or so. So, of course, it was exhausting. <laughs> and it was well done. It was, you know, followed it. It had a hook. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Yeah, no, that's incredible. Um, I had a question for you that, that that's relevant to what you just said. Does celebrity do anything for you? Have you met any cool people and then you go, oh, oh my God. Lee, I, I tell you what, right, I, I've been lucky, okay, that I have met some incredible uh, people. Many of them have been celebrities. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I saw something yesterday that um, Clint Eastwood was dead. Anyway, it turned out it was a hoax or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um I, you know, I did meet Clint Eastwood. And uh, when you come across those sort of older Hollywood people, you know you're in the presence of um, of greatness. I know they're human beings, obviously. Mm. But um, recently, uh, I'm going to be very careful I'm going to say this, recently I worked on a movie and um, uh, in the Highlands, uh, not far from Inverness. And uh, the uh, <laughs> some people were asking me about, sort of celeb stories. So, you know, I started dropping one or two sort of names. And I was doing it because from an honest point of view, I'm not a name dropper, but, you know, when you meet these people and um, you want to, the majority of them have been have been very um, positive, probably most, all of them, I think, have been um, really positive. Um, so you then want to start telling other people. So on the film set, people were asking me these stories and I started telling and then I got a tap on my shoulder going, Dean, can you please stop? Is, you know, can you not stop? And I was like, no, I can't because now I've been talking about Clint Eastwood. I can talk about Jack Nicholson. I can talk about Faye Dunaway. I can talk about Leonardo DiCaprio. I can talk about all these people. And, uh, and even when I'm, I was saying it, I was like, oh my God, if anyone could hear this, they must think, what is this guy on about? But, you know, they're all, they're, all, they're, they're all true. And, and I've had some, some great time. Also, I mean, um, a, a lot of my uh, a lot of my friends are French actors, mm-hmm. um, and th- I mean they're very. I don't know if you've ever met any French actors, but they're v- a very different breed to um, say British actors and certainly to American actors. The, f- the French, the way that they look at their um, film industry, their writers, their creative people is very different. Uh, and if you if you saw a French actor in the street, I don't know, let's just say you saw Gérard Depardieu in the street in France and, and you went and spoke to him, nine times out of ten, he would stand there and talk and, and have a proper engaging conversation with you. Mm-hmm. You do that to um, maybe Hollywood actors and they, they want to they want to put a, um, a barrier up. Let's say, for my own experience, um, you know, I've had a... I've had a some amazing times with Hollywood actors and actresses. I mean, even once um, I pitched, I met Jeff Goldblum and, and pitched him an idea as we were getting in a lift. And he was like, Dean, this is really interesting. Anyway, we, we spent this whole time <laughs> in this lift just chatting about this thing. And, and I think I was rambling and probably making most of it up as I was going along. But um, he, he seemed to enjoy it. And then we, we got out at the, the top floor and he said uh, oh dean here's the here's my agent's details give give her a call and i was like okay cool 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 he said i've got to go now so i'm all right and um the lift door closed and then 
the lift obviously didn't move anywhere. And I was like, where am I? What? what? <laughs> I knew what building I was in, but I had no idea where I was or what I'd just been talking about. And I was like, all shaking. <laughs> but, um, but, it, but it, you know, it, it's been fun. I, I have often said to myself, there's lots of things I haven't achieved, but if I was to shuffle off this mortal coil right now, I would have a smile on my face thinking about some of the um, situations and, you know, funny times that, that I've got myself into. Yeah, lovely. I mean, I don't know. It's nobody's really, nobody's really, oh God, I always go very esoteric with everything. So you have to forgive me, but I mean, yeah. nobody, nobody ever That's really knows what the hell is going on. We're all just doing what looks good next. And, you know, yeah. as long as you're out there and still trying stuff and uh, thankful for how it's going, I think that's great. You know, I think that's the way to be. Um, I, I, I think you're right. I think what's something that's always um, uh, uh, confused me is that, you know, just because, say, someone's an actor or some, someone's a famous person is that suddenly they've got this, um, uh, that they know the secret, you know, that there's been some... Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, the secrets of life have been imparted to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, you know I, I know that, um, you know, you, I've been drinking, well, I better not say it, but, you know, I, I've been drinking with, with certain people and realised that, you know, they are as human as we are. Mm. Sometimes, you know, and, and there's a young um, British actor who, who's now won an Oscar and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I remember um, one night in London uh, going to a private members club um, for film people and whatnot, and uh, with an, with another actor who was in one of my plays, and we were sitting there, and suddenly I felt a tap on my shoulder, and, and this actor turns around, "Oh, hello, are you Dean?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> He's going, "Oh, yeah, I've heard about this. You know, I heard some people talking about your play," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." I was just so shocked that this guy, who then a couple of years later won an Oscar, um, is actually sort of knowing who I am, mm. and is then knowing about my work, and it. And it now, this is going to sound really strange, but it was almost like he was scared to talk to me. Yeah. No, it's, like, you know, it's mad. Mm, I, I mean, it's interesting. I was just thinking about it because there was a new, there's a new memoir that just came out that I want to get. And it's someone mm-hmm. who um, just is going to reveal like loads of stuff about their past. And it's funny because like every new person who enters the limelight or like every new person who looks like it's they've, they've got it covered, they're a genius or something, you want to know. Yeah, but what's what's the crap that went wrong, you know? Like, yeah. uh, but the thing is, the the good and the bad side is you'll always find it. Like, they're just humans. Like, of course, they, they messed up or somebody was horrible to them. It's just like, it's it, it's always there, you know? But it, it's um it's interesting how... Yeah, you just got to hope that, that that feeling that I think everyone has, which is, why would anyone care what I have to say? Why would anyone want to do this with me particularly? You just have to hope that it's not um, holding you back from anything, you know? That you you, you, yeah. you go and do things regardless of having that feeling. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that it's... Um, uh, you, you know, okay, let me try and answer this way. I think that, you know, certainly today, it's you have to be so careful all the time Um that things that you either say put on social media or things that you say mm. are not misconstrued in any way because um, there will be people. Uh, what was it the other day? Was it there was a an actor or a presenter or something, and, and that um, 
that people were then going through the through his or her Twitter feed from like 15 years ago mm. when they were a kid and found something which they then thought we needed to know about now. Ridiculous. Um, and, and then this, and, and the, oh, I thought it was ridiculous myself. Yeah. Um, but that is the uh, the problem, I suppose, when you're growing up, or maybe not just growing up nowadays, but when when you're existing nowadays, because. You know, you, you you might see something, you know, on social media, you might go, oh, I like that. And you might just like it and then move on to the next thing. It doesn't mean too much to you. Yeah. But then suddenly then you get contacted and they say, oh, well, what's going on here? You know, why do you, con- do you not know that person's a racist or do you not know this? Do you not yeah. know? And you're like, well, I just saw a post and I thought that that was really interesting hmm. what they put. And, you know, it can take you down um down a, uh, a dark path. There is, um, and I'm going to be very careful. I'm going to say this, but on social media, on um, Facebook this week, there was um, uh, a pro- probably a well-known um, American writer who put something about um, all the, the the children that are doing the climate change um, protests and whatnot. And uh, oh, I know who. When it I is, read, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so cool. Okay, so when I read the original post, I was like, okay, I think this is. Very much tongue. I'm not saying I agree with it, so let's just be clear with that. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought he's he's got his tongue very firmly in his cheek here, and he's actually making a different point. Ah. And when I scrolled through it, I was half, you know, I was expecting not half. I was expecting a point where he was just going to go, you know what, everybody, I've just done this on purpose to make a point. Um, of course, I don't believe what I've just put, but I've done it for this reason. Yeah. But I, I've it then just became this. Uh, you know, barrage from all around the world of people just posting all this stuff. I'm going to throw your books away. I've gone outside and burnt your books. <laughs> mm. You think, wow, this, how, I, 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 you know, words do fail me. Words do fail me. Oh, it's, um, it's, it's just a new, let's hope it's a fad because you can't, 15 years ago, I was half my age. Do you want me to, right. do you want me to condone anything I said as a 15 year old? I don't think so. Jesus Christ, no. that guy that guy got through his teens. Give him a break, you know? Like <laughs> yeah. he had more pressing matters than like the 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 standard of speech that we have today is it's also like it's holding people hold it like how do you think we got the standards we have now? It's by saying stuff and then going not quite that. <laughs> you know, this and, yeah. and evolving. It's like how do you think you get these standards and it's like these people these people back in the day were fighting for I don't know, different things. It paves the way for new problems to be the one at the, the forefront, you know? Um, the, the, the problem is, don't you, don't, don't you think this, is that um, that uh, everybody wants to be offended nowadays and everybody is offended. Now, obviously, um, we have to treat everybody with respect, dignity, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. So, you know, I'm 100% a, a firm believer of that, but... You know, I've seen it myself in, you know, in shopping queues where someone said, oh, um, you know, it costs £2, whatever the person in front of me has bought, £2.80, they've given them £2.50, then there's a big argument and then someone says, oh, you're just pick on, you're picking on me because I'm this, I'm that. Mm. And, you know, I've seen that with my own eyes and I'm thinking, wow, that, how has that situation become that in, you know, in, in 10 seconds? It was just a you know a mistake on the handing over the money. I saw that you only gave two pound fifty rather than two sixty or two eighty or whatever. Mm. And now, how are you dredging up, or you know, how have you got yourself into this situation, into this corner? Sorry. 
Well, it's it's also. I mean, I do see that. I do. See, I I can't tell if people are more. Well, you'll be able to tell. I want to know your perspective on this as well. But as I get older, um, I am not very scared of things anymore. But it seems like everyone else is going in the opposite direction. It seems like people seem to get more and more terrified. Now, I as somebody who this is going to make me sound a bit arrogant, but as somebody who reads a lot, um. Yep. You find people in the same situations you've been in over and over again. And one thing I don't want to do is sit here and stew over something that's already been documented somewhere, right? You know, it's like, okay, you're not alone. It's here. This other person or this other character went through the same thing, but the author wrote it because they were imagining that this might happen and it is happening to you. Great. Move on, right? And then your your, your thoughts move on to something more interesting. Um, I feel like people, because they don't read, they're just like, oh my God, I'm the one person in history going through this dilemma like, and now I'm going to take out on everyone around me. And it's like, you know, like, hey, you just appeared in my line of vision. You're my competition now. Who do you think you are? You know, I, I feel that like all the time around people my age. And I think it's just because the older you get, you're always just looking, you know, the longer you've been waiting for somebody to step in and tell you what you're supposed to be doing with your life. And the longer that person never shows up because they're never going to, you know. Um, and ugh, I think that it, um, I think it's just that. I think it's just that. I think it's... um referred pain i think it's um i can't i can't uh, tell me no i I just say i i think that's a really interesting way of looking at it i I think that in my life i was never um scared in the fact that um you know i suppose the cold war was uh you know i guess when i was born the cold war was on but um you know once all the, the peace treaties were signed and we thought that we lived maybe in a, in a in a good place. Then you you had all the the issues with the Middle East. Well, what what do you think that um, storytelling does in the midst of this? Does it inform people? Does it does it ease their pain? Or what what do you think your role is? Well, that's 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 interesting. That's interesting because um, I don't know whether. Okay, so for my own writing, I don't know whether I try to put. Uh, current affairs um, into my work, or if I write about current affairs, if I write about the world, you know, I know writers that do do that. I don't think I've ever really included myself in that. But it's interesting that um, when uh, when I moved to France to write this script um, a couple of years back, it was about uh, the son of Napoleon, um, who was brought up in, uh, even though he was French or half French, he was brought up in Austria as a prisoner, and. Um, so it's a historical uh, script, and it was set um, in the 1820s, 1830. But it was really interesting. We noticed, me and my French co-writer, how much of stuff that was going on, say, in France today, uh, a little bit of the sort of, um, not so much the Brexit, because Brexit, that was really just kicking off. We were writing it while the referendum happened. But, you know, some of the... Um, the politic, French politics, definitely, was going into our script. I don't think we did it on purpose, but it was in there. When, when we read it back, we were like, oh, my God. <laughs> it, it was, that, was, that was really strange. Um, I suppose the other thing is that out of all these, this sort of crisis and whatnot is that you do get some really interesting and exciting stories. You know, people, people do want escapism. Something you said earlier, though, I think is something else that's worrying is that people aren't reading anymore. I mean, I mean, you know, obviously some people do read, obviously, but, mm. you know, when I was growing up, everyone used to have books. You know, when I was in London, you'd be on the tube and everyone had books. Mm-hmm. Um, 
now, I'm not saying they're not reading their books on their Kindles or on their phones or not, mm. but it, it's it doesn't seem to be to be what it was. Yeah, you know, I, maybe that's just me being in the wrong places at the wrong times. But um, you know, I always saw people with books, always reading, but you, you're just not getting it anymore. I don't think. I don't think it might be different where you are. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I guess that you use a lot of public transport. So I, I don't know whether you've got people who are always reading, you know, even if it's on their phone, they're reading, but um, it seems a bit of a dying art. And that's really sad if that's true. <laughs> it's really difficult. It's difficult for me to say. I, I haven't looked at the statistics, but as far as I could tell, at least when Kindles first came out, reading went up. I think reading yeah. is, I mean, it, it's it's difficult. It's like books are so accessible now. You can, you can, um, a new book comes out and then you can just like download the download it onto your Kindle straight away. There's so much good to say about it. It's really difficult for yeah. me to say how much people are or aren't reading. I mean, because I don't know. It, or is it just that, I mean, like no matter how much you read, you're going to have a tough time relating to other people because we're so, <laughs> we're so unknowable, even unto ourselves. Like it, it's so complicated just trying to interact with other human beings. Um, yeah, and if you don't yeah. do it, you're going to suffer even more. <laughs> like it's 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 just tough to be a human relating to other humans. Um, but I really don't know. Um, I don't know if people are getting smarter or not. I I feel like they are. I just and and I don't you, know if um, you, think yeah. getting, you think that they're getting smarter. I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. How would I know? I've got no idea. Yeah. Um, because I, 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 want to, I want to say that that's. Um, I want to say that that's true. I want to say that's true. And I know that, um, uh, I, I tell you, it's, it's, it, it interests me when I meet other writers because um, some of them seem uh, very well read and, and you can talk about something before you know it, within five, 10 minutes, you are talking about something really bizarre. And you go, how did I get to that point? And that is brilliant. Mm -hmm. And then you, get to, then you meet other writers who, no, I don't read books. I just, I just write. I mean, mm -hmm. I went, when I was at uni, there was a guy who was um, doing an English degree and uh, he was quite proud of the fact that he wasn't reading any books, even though he was doing an English degree. And I said, what are you on about? He said, well, look, I read all the time. I read crisp packets. I read signs. He said, that's Ugh. all the read need to do. And hope, he was proud of that. I hope he's grown up a bit since then. He's probably yeah, cringing I, 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 about that now. Yeah, well, I, I hope that's the case. <laughs> just for, for me, books, um, you know, offer you, uh, I know it's maybe a bit pretentious, a bit cliche or whatever, but they offer you so much more than those words that are on that paper. Yeah, because like even when you watch, the, the interesting thing about this project is I really am just interested in um, the people behind the books because I don't think that people can necessarily... First of all, if somebody thinks that there's something to say about their book that they didn't put in the book, then they're going to think they did a bad job. So I don't really know that there is more to say about a book that person's written than than should be there. Um, and and certainly, what's in a book can be more complex and eloquent than a person is capable of in like conversation. That's often why people write. I think is because they they find that they're most articulate on the page instead of in conversation. Um, yeah. Uh, that's um, not not to stop you trying to fall, but no. But but is um, 
you know that that's that is a really that's a really interesting point because you know I, I know people that are great writers but cannot articulate themselves verbally at all. Mm. You know, it's just impossible for them to do that. Um, and then you can you know you can read their words and you go, wow, you know, I really want to meet this person. And then you do, and they're just boring. Mm-hmm. They can't. Um, you know, there's just nothing to them. And you think, wow, how can somebody as one-dimensional as uh, as you in the flesh create something that is is something altogether you know wonderful mm-hmm. um you also then do get to that point don't you i mean there's uh i think it's in one of the papers here there's an advert in england at the moment there's an advertisement for something and it just says you know when um the writer says that the, the curtains were blue and then you've got all these different opinions about why he's put the curtains are blue and then it goes back to the author who says well i just like blue curtains mm. You know, why do we have to keep thinking that there's more to it, the fact that this writer... I mean, I've, I've had that in my life where, you know, I, I've never done drugs. That is not my thing at all. But um, some of my stories, certainly my early stuff, was well out there. It was well out there. Mm-hmm. And, and people would come up to me going, Dean, you know, this is amazing. And they'd start talking to me about drugs that they thought I'd taken because they'd had similar trips. Um, and, and then they start giving me a rundown of all my, of my work about why I put words in certain places. And, and you go, okay, mm-hmm. you're, you're really seeing something that, <laughs> that mm-hmm. I, I don't think I did, but fair play to you if that's, if that's what you think. Yeah. Well, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. No, to maybe not. Yeah. No, maybe not. Yeah. And, and, that, and I suppose that's the point, isn't it? Is the fact that, you know, somebody could write a hundred words on a piece of paper, give it to you, give it to me, give it to 10 other people, and you're going to get 10 different, um, different opinions mm. and at the end of the day none of those opinions are wrong mm. it might not be what the writer meant originally yeah. or you know but it doesn't matter because we've all got something out of it and hopefully it's then um uh nourished our brain a little bit but yes Maybe. absolutely and like this is why i want to this is why i want to believe or, or why i do believe that people are are much more intelligent than they often are when you know like you've got a memory of a guy from university who said something very silly about chris packets who maybe now is you know hopefully far more evolved than he is i go out to you know maybe various events here in stavanger and i meet new people and they say something silly because they're trying to relate to me and they don't really know who i am and then i i mistakenly think oh this is a very silly person but then like if you if you you know if you read a book that they wrote or if they read something you might even unlock something in them or or some side of them that you don't yet know about and there, there's always more to them i mean i i try to there's more to us than even we see because when as you you know as an experienced writer know a lot of it is subconscious there's a there's a logic oh, going on yeah there's a logic going on that even we don't understand about ourselves um oh yeah, def- yeah. definitely definitely and, and i think that you know what, what's interesting about that is that um you know when uh <sighs> I try not to repeat myself when I'm writing a story. And it's, in, it's then interesting that, you know, you look back maybe even over the last 18 months at probably five or six of the stories that I've come out, that have been published. And though in, in you would look at them and see that they were all different stories, not related, there would be similar themes in each of them. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and there's one particular image that I just need to get out of my head. But it, it's in these stories all the time. I'm thinking... Well, I didn't consciously put that there, mm. but now looking back at it, how is that? And it's obviously something that's weighed on my mind mm. um, that need, that needs to come out. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. And that that really interests me about the about the writing process because you know you think that 
and, and maybe about the brain um, in general is the fact that you think that um, you, you, you think that you put some words down on a page and you're doing that randomly. Mm-hmm. Are you doing that randomly? Or is there something in your brain that's already worked it out? Do you know what I mean? It is the fact that it's, you think it's random, that you think it's subconscious, but actually there's something in your brain that's telling you these are the words that you've got to oh, put down. Most definitely. And I think also, like, um, if you've ever, just speaking generally, like, if you ever go through <laughs> something traumatic, like, afterwards, um, your body kind of, it, it has emotions queued up for you as well. It goes, I'm going to need you to feel really sad for a long time. And you go, all right. But you can't, like, if you put it off, it will get even worse, right? So you just got to feel really sad for a long time. And then if you do that, your body goes, good, I'll let you feel happy now. Well done. <laughs> you did that properly, right? That's just, um, I'm, I'm just thinking about people that I've talked to like that. You know, if you, some, yeah, like, if you go through something meaningful, if you go through a loss or, you know, yeah. a big life change, sometimes you do just need to feel very sad for a long time. And it, it's, your body is healing something inside you using the fuel of making you feel sad for a long time. And that's not something I understand, but I definitely know that's how it works. And I know if you interrupt that process, it just gets worse. And it's, it must be the same for writers. I think is like, if you, if you don't get the words out of you, you're going to feel terrible. I, I, I think that's most writers say that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I know definitely in, in the past, if I don't write for a couple of days, I get very cranky my head hurts and it's almost like there's a, there's a building up of pressure. Mm. Uh, and then, it, then I might just sort of, you know, take out my computer or whatever, or, or my little uh, notepad and pen and just sit there and, and write a load of stuff. And it might just be a load of gibberish, but mm. it, it's got out, you know, it, it's, it, it's out of me now. So, um, and, and I, I've always thought that was quite interesting as a, as a writer, you know, when people sort of say, how do you become a writer and, you know, blah, 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 that sort of question. I always say that, well, I guess that you can become a writer. I guess you can be taught how to write but or how to write better. Mm. But I think that if you are a writer, it's in you mm. and there's nothing that you can do about it. And I think that, you know, the same is, you know, like painters. Mm. It, I would like to paint. I cannot paint. When I was at school, the, um, uh, the teacher came over and just broke my paintbrush and said, Dean, don't bother. That's it leave the class sort of thing. wasn't being naughty or anything like that. He just said, you have absolutely no aptitude for art. Now, we could look back at that and go, well, that's completely the wrong thing to do, but Mm. that was teaching them. Um, I would love to be able to paint, but am I sort of banging my head up against the wall? Because, yes, you can teach me to paint maybe or teach me to draw or whatever, but it's not what's inside me, Mm. whereas the writing, the words and all that is inside me. That's... Definitely. I mean, that's obviously your experience. That's experience of a lot of writers. But if someone is to ask me what a writer is, to me, a writer is anyone. Anyone could do this. Anyone could be taught how to do this to a certain degree. I just think the writer's persona is nonsense. Personally, I think it's nonsense. And I think that um, I think it's been made up by scared writers trying to scare off other writers. And the older, like with each year that passes... The more annoyed I get at anyone who is discouraged creatively in any field, like regardless of what aptitude they have for it at the time. Because like we say, you know, nobody knows what anyone is capable of. Um, You are 100% right. And I know, you know, when, when, and this is, you know, and I proved it. Um, when I met my uh, my French co-writer, mm-hmm. he, he had in some some um, he'd never written a, a, a proper story, if you like. He'd never written a film, but 
we had that conversation and I knew that it was in there and I knew that I could um, sort of encourage him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I, that was, you know, one of the main reasons why we did what we did. And I think that what I tried to, to do for him, rightly or wrongly, is to be that person that I didn't have when I was starting out. Mm-hmm. Now, what I could see with him is, you know, maybe he wasn't the greatest writer in the world. I'm not saying that at all. But what I tried to do was, okay, we've agreed to do this together. So let's try and do it together. And if he came with ideas, I didn't turn around and say, oh, no, Roman, that's rubbish or blah, blah, blah. We tried to make it work. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely with you. You should never. And also then going through, as I say, the story with the, my teacher with a paintbrush, you should never discourage anybody from doing anything. Yeah, absolutely. But also another thing you've just touched upon that I think is so interesting is like one of the most meaningful things I find that I can do is when I'm then responsible for a situation that like when I was in it, it went badly. And then I thought if I was the one who was creating the situation, I would do it better next time. Like, for example, um, my day job, I'm a process engineer. And um, I was uh, when I first started, like and I came to Norway alone with nobody and then everyone was it felt to me like everyone was a little hostile as if like who's this young guy who thinks he's so great and it's like guys don't worry I don't think I'm great I'm having a terrible time and I'm just hiding it and and your your hostility is not helping um so when when a new guy joined the company um I've been working for this company for six years so like when a new guy joined the company I was like great lovely to meet you let's let me short let, let me tour some factories with you and I'll show you what all the equipment is and I'm not going to feel like, you know, uh, I'm not going to get mad at you if you ask a question I don't know the answer to because I feel like you're challenging me. We'll just yeah. find out what the answer is later, right? Um, and it's so meaningful because you just think, God, I was in a situation that was done so badly to me and I made sure that didn't happen to someone else, you know? No, you're, you're dead right. And this is exactly what I wanted to do with Roman is the fact that, mm. you know, if if uh, I, I think he's, he's a brilliant writer and, and, and he could really become very, very big. At the moment, I think that, you know, he's had some other stuff going on and he's concentrating on that. And, you know, we, we talk all the time, we were only talking yesterday or whatever. And, um, you know, we will do some more stuff in the future, but all the time I just kept thinking to myself, okay, Dean, remember what it was like for you and you didn't have anybody who could help you do this. So let's try and help this guy and let's try and do this. Mm. And it was amazing. I'll tell you what, when we, um, so there's a little festival down in Monaco and, uh, we won some screenplay awards. We won like best historical um, script. And then they gave us a special award um, because they'd sort of heard some stuff about our friendship and about what I was trying to do. Um, and what was always great about it, and a bit like I think like with, with the guy that you're telling me about, is mm-hmm. the fact that um, Roman challenged me as the more experienced guy to be even better than what I could be, mm. if that makes sense. And what we were trying to do together was create something which people hadn't seen before. So when people were reading our script, they were going, wow, this is, you know, this is crazy. This is, you know, it was so, it was so good. And that, you know, it's easy for me to say it was good, but people were telling us. Um, and when we were pitching it to some producers, um, you know, they, they just sat there and said, you know, we, we, we don't even need to read the script. We can just see the passion that's coming out of you two about this story. Mm. And we can see how, you know, you two have worked together and, and what great friends you are. Um, and, and that was that was really I, I felt uh, a little bit of a glow of, of um, pride, I guess, maybe that, that 
what we'd set out to achieve had actually worked. It wasn't always easy, 100% it wasn't. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it, it, was, it was something special. Now, one thing that I would ask then about you is when you went to Norway, do you speak Norwegian? No, I don't. No, I've been here six years and I don't speak it. No. So the people that you, the, the company might be Norwegian, but the people that you're around are all English speakers then, I guess. Yes, exactly. And and the majority of meetings can be done in English. Um, sometimes I let them do it in Norwegian. Um, and I do kind of understand it. You know, like, it's it's interesting when you think about writing, like, it's true that when I first started writing, like, I, first, I would read lots of very complicated stuff because I thought this is going to be my competitive edge. But the fact yeah. is, to get better as a writer, you have to write. And that's where the practice is. To get better at a language, you need to speak it. Um, yeah. I've, I've, I can read books in Norwegian. I read emails in Norwegian and everything. But I don't really call myself somebody who understands the language because I don't really speak it. I, I don't use it really day to day. The reason why I ask that is because mm-hmm. obviously going to France yeah. is that people speak in French. And I can read it and, and write it. But um, I always have a problem with um, doing the accents and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was always better at speaking German because it was almost like English with the accent. But um, it, it was, you know, this is why I say that Roman was brilliant, is the fact that he he worked all the time in English. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes there would be a little bit of conversation in French, but the majority of what he was doing was in English. And, I, you know, I'd sit there going, wow, that is pretty cool. That with my help, yes, but we've just written a three-hour film script in a second language for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I think then also, uh, and this is why I asked you about, say maybe about your experience, is the fact that being a foreigner living in, in, in France as a writer, it was really, you know, it's, it's always, France has always inspired me and definitely living there has inspired me because you're almost like that, um, you know, the, the stranger all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, much, as much as my French friends love me and they want me in their lives and in, in the communities and, and blah, 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 you're always going to be that stranger. Uh, and I think, from a creative point of view, that's that's really cool because you can you can use that to your um, you know to your uh, benefit or whatever. But um, from a human being living from day to day, it's not always as it's not always easy. That isn't always. So that's why, as I say, I wondered whether you, from say the language especially, whether mm. you um, speak in Norwegian. No, it's a very good question, and it's uh, you sometimes I take my own life circumstances for granted because, you know, nothing ever seems very unusual about what's going on in your own life. But then to somebody else, you know, they notice things like, hey, you live in Norway. It's like, <laughs> I forget that I live in Norway, you know, because it's, it's just something yeah. you do. But no, yeah. you're absolutely right. I mean, I I lived in Spain for a year before and I felt more at home there than I did here. I, I think this oh, really? is a very, yeah, this is a very, and I kind of, I I thought I was going to feel more at home when I first arrived here because when I was in Spain, like I obviously didn't look Spanish. So while I might have spoken Spanish, people always knew that I wasn't Spanish. They were never going to mistake me for a Spanish person. But I thought people here mistake me for a Norwegian person all the time. But it doesn't really make a difference because the culture is so different that I'm not really, I'm not really interested in the same things that they are, and they just have a a manner that kind of locks you out, or or so I thought. Um, but then I realized somebody told me recently, well, I work with Norwegian engineers, which are like introverts of the introvert, you know, it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're the most closed. Some of they must be some of the most closed people on the planet. I work with a very unusual set of people. And, you know, you can find you can find a small percentage of people that you can relate to anywhere on the planet, really. It just takes a bit more sure. extra work. You know, like and 
I think now that um, because I live in Stavanger and I've lived in Oslo before, and Oslo is one of those kind of a bit like London, right? London attracts a certain type of person who loves the notion of London and they're snobby about it and think it's better than else yep. other places, right? Well, <laughs> Oslo is very much like that as well, and I'm so against it. And so then I thought. I'm not going to sit here and pretend then that Stavanger doesn't have the resources that I want. I'm going to just... The fact is, you can have fun and find your people wherever you are on the planet, especially nowadays with the internet and everything. You just have to be a little bit more imaginative and a little bit more persistent in places that are not necessarily jet-setty big cities, right? So I, I really... If, if my attitude is that Stavanger is no better or worse than Oslo, which I really don't think it is, it just depends what you make of the place that you're in, you know? It wouldn't even bother me, really, if I ended up living in Glasgow again, because I think I'm a different person and I would know how to thrive there in a way that I didn't when I was younger, you know? So like yeah. my question to you on that is, yeah. I don't know what is, so like you live in France how often? Most of the time? Yeah, so the majority of the time since um, since uh, 2016. So I have been th this year, um, because we've been waiting for these meetings um, and whatnot, it, some of the other projects and then being in Scotland as well, I spent a little bit more time in England um, and the people that owned my apartment have sold it. So I've got uh, all my boxes are in a friend's garage in the South of France. Mm -hmm. So um, over here, I'm actually living out of suitcases. Right. Well, how, in what ways does that, in what way does that impact your life? You know, generally speaking. I spent a lot of time in London, but I never, never have ever felt at home in London. Um, when mm. I moved to Cannes, and even though I'd been to Cannes several times for film festivals and whatnot, um, I knew that I was at home. Mm. And even and my little brother sort of says, oh, you know, stop saying that. And I say, well, it's true. I just, it, it's really, it is really weird to describe it. It's almost like, uh, my the vibration that my body moves on, or, or my soul, or whatever the vibration that it moves on mm -hmm. in England or in Britain is very different to what it moves at moves at in France. It's it's, it's like uh, you can walk around and you can touch things, and it feel you feels that that is part of you, and you are part of that. And I never ever felt that in London. In mm. London, when um, I walked around, my head was always down. When I'm in France, you know, Cannes, and in Paris as well, my head is always up. Hmm. I'm always, uh, you know, it might sound pretentious, I don't know, but you know, when I'm when I'm on French soil, I just feel completely different to what I'm like when I feel like when when I'm over here. Hmm. I think that I think London attracts people who want to find a place that you know they will never be able to please. Yeah. Um, yeah. People who are kind of seeking to be part of circles that, you know, but will just perpetually never be satisfied for, I mean, I don't know. Uh, London, I mean, there, there's in a city that big, there's everything going on, you know, but there is, I certainly got that mood. Um, you know, that like, th this is, this will be interesting for you to listen to because it's coming out of my mouth. <laughs> was the attitude of lots of Londoners, I found. Definitely um, right. Yeah, yeah. Definitely right. And I, and I think that, um, it's very different. Even, you know, I spent a lot of time in Paris and I've never felt that in Paris hmm. with, um, you know, it's, you know, I've spent a lot of time in, in Paris with French people and with non-French people and everyone just always seems happy that they're there. 
Hmm. And, and happy that you're meeting each other. And, you know, you could be very famous or not famous or, um, you know, you could be sweeping the road. But at that moment, you're in there having a drink in the pub or whatever, having a chat and everyone's equal and everyone's having a good time. In London, it's it's almost like everyone wants to, who are you? Because I, I want to be bigger than you. Yeah. And uh, well, now I'm bigger than you. Who's this person? Oh, I'm going to be bigger than that person. And, and, and then the other thing also is the fact there's so much happening in London that you end up doing nothing. Interesting. You know, I, 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 this happened to me, and I know plenty of my other friends. You go, oh, should we go to the theatre tonight? Oh, I don't know, which, what do you want to go and see? And then, well, let's go to the cinema. Well, what do you want to go and see? And before we know it, it well, let's not bother. <laughs> and, and you just don't. Whereas, you know, it, it's what, I've, what I found in France is that people say, oh, Dean, you know, we're going to the cinema. Do you want to come? You go, yeah, okay, let's go. Yeah. Now, whether it's because there's certainly in Cannes, there's less stuff to do than there is in London. Not, you know, I, I don't know, but it, it just seemed a hundred percent different mentality. Uh, London is always about, always seemed to be anyway, getting one over on somebody, and no time for anybody else. Uh, you'd never sort of spark up a conversation with someone who comes and sits next to you on public transport, um, mm. and you know, you, you talk about politics and. You know, I know you really shouldn't talk about it, maybe, but you know, you you start talking about it before you know it is a fight breaking out. In France, you've got so many different um, politics going on that people can generally, if not all the time, but let's say generally, have a good debate, you know, a good chat, and and you're all friends at the end of it. But I didn't see that in London. You know, I just you know, you talked earlier about being scared and. You know, I know in London, I'm a grown man, but you'd be walking around London going, oh, I don't like this. There's just something in the air all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's true. And no, I mean, you're not even allowed to look other people in the eye in London. No. <laughs> it's no. very weird. But the, And there's no. so many interesting people there, but you're not allowed to look at them. <laughs> but, yeah, but, you know, the thing is, listen, I, I know, like in Paris, so I like wearing scarves, right, with my suits or whatever. And I, and I know Roman bought me a scarf for my birthday. And I was in Paris and someone came up and started talking to me about that scarf, right? And they, they were like touching it or whatever, going, wow, this is really nice. Where did you get this from? And having a whole conversation. If that had happened in London, that would have been, you know, absolutely no way would that have happened. I was like, can you, it, it only was, if it was like, can you join my cult now? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Listen, I had that as a student. I was laughing to myself about this the other day about um, getting a bus one time and this guy come and sit next to me and then started talking to me about religion and all that. I was like, oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. And then... Um, he was trying to get me to go off to his cult, uh, and he kept turning. He followed me, came back to the house where the other students were, and uh, yeah, <laughs> how how um, different my life might have been if I'd gone off to this cult. <laughs> <laughs> so much better, I'm sure. You would have transcended by now. You wouldn't need all this writing material. Um, we got in touch because of Domain Publishing, and we haven't even talked about it yet. We have not. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I can, quick, I can quickly tell you about that if you want. Please do. Okay, so um, so last few years I've been obviously doing books for other indie publishers uh, uh, all around the world, and um, some writers kept saying to me, Dean, you know, you're so good at doing this. Why don't you try and do publishing yourself? And I was like, no, nah, you know, I can't be bothered with that. Um, but there was just too many people that kept asking me. So I did... Um, I'd written a novella for another publisher, which came out in a book, um, which was about First World War uh, horror stories. 
and we were doing a sequel and that publisher said, look, I'm sorry, I can't do it. So I said, okay, I'll step in. Um, and I had somebody who was doing all my covers and, and branding uh, and that sort of, he had some issues. So that sort of stopped. Um, so I didn't do anything for a little while, but I had all these stories and I've been doing a lot of, uh, I can say these names. I'm quite happy about this. Uh, a guy called Trevor Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does some, it's in a magazine and I, I saw some covers and he said, Oh, I can put you in touch with the guy. His name's Adrian, Adrian Baldwin. Uh, I'm sure that you two can work together. And yep, we did. And, uh, he's, he's done some brilliant covers. We've been releasing, um, these books called the short, sharp shocks, which are sort of short stories, small, small eBooks, um, which will then soon be in paperback, um, hopefully at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got about 50. We've, we've got to number 34, I think. And that's 34 that have been published since March of this year. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been really hard work. We, we've done a couple of novellas. It's hopefully to get um, get another couple of books out before Christmas as well, which aren't short, sharp shots. But and next year we're doing some science fiction and some crime and thriller. Um, so it's been really, really busy because obviously it's starting to get quite successful. I mean, the, the brand's getting out there. People are seeing it. Uh, and the great thing is is that um, not all of the reviews mention it, but a vast majority of reviews, as well as reviewing the particular book, actually then start talking about the series and saying, look at the covers, look at you know what, what they're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been really, really good. Um, even this week, uh, we released, um, what's today, Saturday? We released five yesterday. Uh, and some reviews have already come out, and some of those reviews are already mentioning the covers and the branding, and, and and that this is a really exciting series that people should be reading and getting involved with. My 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 email box is really full every day of people that are getting in touch saying, look, we've heard about this, we've seen this, uh, we've got a story, would you be interested? So it, it's it's been hard work, um, and as I say, as well as doing my own writing, I'm also running the business, but um. It, it, it's really good. And I, I got annoyed with myself fairly recently because I was thinking I, I'm not reading books too much at this moment in time. Hmm. And then I said, well, why are you getting angry about it? Of course you're reading. You're reading all this stuff that's being sent to you. So yeah. I, I, was, I was okay. But, you know, I hadn't physically gone to a shop for a while to buy a book. And I think that's the thing that was annoying. But, yeah, I mean, um, probably even tonight uh, the there's been a couple of stories sent to me today. So if I get a chance tonight, I'll read them. If not, then first thing tomorrow when I wake up. Um, and, and, you know, it's been really exciting. The, the, the work that that I've been sent, it's been really, really cool. And people getting in touch with me saying, Dean, look, we haven't got anything at the moment, but can you keep us a slot? And, and some sort of, the, you know, the names are... Um, uh, I, I, I don't know if that's one way of saying that. I was going to say, that, you know, we're having some big names contact us as well. But, um, you know, I, I love introducing uh, – well, my, my little strap line was um, or is uh, publishing tomorrow's horror stars today. And that's what, that's what I like is reading stuff from new writers that maybe haven't had anything published, but they've mm-hmm. written a really, really cool story. Um, so let's, why not give them a chance? Again, this is what I wish I'd had you know, 15 years ago or something. Brilliant. Is there, are there any particular milestones ahead? Anything you want to see happen with the publisher? What, with the, um, well, one thing that I suppose we need to be doing is 
uh, we haven't been because we've been concentrating on the ebooks. We haven't actually been doing too much print, and then getting out to conventions and selling books and meeting the, our readers sort of face to face, which is definitely what we want to do next year. There's um, big, the big StokerCon is coming to Scarborough in uh, April, I think it is. So we're going to try and have a presence there. Uh, but also, um, I mean, we've, we're, there's probably one or two slots left for next year, but there's a few books that we're releasing. But also what we want to do is then move into films. Um, there's a couple of writers that I've been working with uh, that had written some scripts and, and they said, Dean, we'd like you to direct these. So um, we're looking at maybe setting up a film company. Uh, we, you know, we're probably a good nine months away to do that, but um, setting up a film company, doing a couple of shorts maybe, and then doing a feature film as well under the under the demand brain uh, under the the demand brand so that'd be cool very cool anything you want to let us know about what's coming out next um no all i would say is just is just keep an eye out on the on our facebook page domain publishing and um uh on, on the website um i mean i can send you the uh, I don't know if I've sent you those details, but I can send you the details if you want them. But I say, just keep an eye on the website, just keep an eye on the blog, on the Facebook page, because um, we've got a good plan for what's happening over the next 18 months, but things can change. You know, people contact and send me a, send me a book. I think, you know what, let's do this now. Then we do try and fit that in. And, and that's what we did with, um, at the beginning of this week, we had uh, Dave Jeffries' um, dystopian novella, um, A Quiet Apocalypse which uh, he'd been talking to me about for a little while um, and sent it to me. And then it was really, really good. And I said, well, let's not wait around. Let's just get it out. Mm -hmm. So uh, we we brought that forward and and we got the ebook out that came out, um, let's say on Monday, and the paperback should be out next month, the end of next month. Cool. So that was Dean Drinkle, editor of Demand Publishing. I hope you'll check it out. And in the meantime, if you're a reader, writer, editor, listener, any type of creative or just anyone listening with anything to tell me about the show, you can always do so using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. But that's all from me for now. So until next time, bye bye.